Good morning. Speak, friend, and enter the Bag End Book Club. I'm Nora. I'm joined by Jackson. Oh, Jesus Christ, you threw me off. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm joined by Autumn. That's me. And M. Finally, we are here. <laughs> kind, not, not really, but kind of. The reason I agreed to this podcast, we're here. This is the thing I was most scared of for this podcast, and I'm having a good time so far. <clears throat> so, um, for for anybody who does not remember, uh, Nora, can I have the book back, please? <laughs> we started the Silmarillion. We read the foreword. We read. No, I attempted to read before that. You read the foreword. It's the foreword. And then the preface to the second edition, which there is not included in the audiobook, so I don't know how much I'm going to be able to speak to it. And after that, the actual Silmarillion, which is the the first two chapters we read, were the Ainulindale, or the Ainulindale, sorry. Yes. And um, the, the Valaquenta. Or Valaquenta? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it's Valaquenta. I, the, the, um... Guy who does the audiobook of this one, Martin Shaw, I think does a pretty good job with the um like Tolkien pronunciations. It's just some of it I didn't internalize yet. So Yeah. I <coughs> just read it, so I have a bunch of umlauts in my head that I am still sorting through. <laughs> um uh, where the fuck do we start with this? The forward? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, the forward is pretty... Oh, okay, so the front of the book has a mountain on it. Shut the fuck up. And it up. says, The Silmarillion. And at the bottom it says, J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, that's the name of the author. Okay, it's not part stop of the this time. bit. The bit is done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the movie the ending for- explained. Those names are the people who worked on the movie. <laughs> The foreword is pretty brief. It's just Christopher Tolkien explaining, like, that uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. I don't know if I put too many R's in there. I might have. <laughs> Two R's. J.R.R. Anyway, Tolkin. Just say J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> throw him in there. <laughs> Christopher is explaining, like, that this is assembled, like, over, like, many decades of, uh, like, I'm just going to refer to J.R.R. Tolkien as Tolkien. Um, because... Can, if I ask, could you tell me what the J stands for? John. No. M, is that right? I believe it is. I also believe it's John. Yes, it's John. John... Ronald Rule, right? John Ronald yeah, Rule Yeah, John Tolkien. Ronald Rule. I, it was like, I, it was getting mixed up in my head with rolled, like a rolled doll. No. That was, that was the issue. You could call him Ronald if you'd like. We've got to do this podcast. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying. I don't know about you. I am doing the podcast. <laughs> I, unlike the elves, am not concerned with the grief of time shifting things. I'm concerned with the, more, the ways of mortal man. We have to get on with the fucking podcast. The foreword is very brief. It is just Tol- Christopher Tolkien explaining that Tolkien assembled, or like put this together over many, many years, but didn't really finish it before he died. Um, it also, it was never meant to be a single narrative necessarily, right? Yes. Like, it, yes. There's a. There's a version he pitched, which will be in the the preface, or uh, that uh, was going to be put together, but he never actually did it. All mo- most of this is assemblage work done by Mister Tolkien after Tolkien died. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, all of which is to say that basically everything outside of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings is either like 
unfinished or exists in multiple modes or versions mm-hmm. because most authors just write different versions of different stuff or like toy around that's how things. that's how there's uh 13 other volumes after this that we will not be covering right yeah so i think that's a thing that um is kind of not as unusual to approach right because like for different reasons like we can think about something that's sort of made like star wars or something that's made by committee where it like contradicts itself in these similar ways and there's multiple versions of things being told to you mm-hmm. um and so it's not as big of a an ask for us i feel like to be like oh yeah i can rotate in my head the fact that this is like complete and incomplete and in six different versions and it's yeah. all one sort of like effort being made mm-hmm. and it's not like a coherent abc constructed thing what is that effort being made you might ask well here's the preface to the second edition <clears throat> which has a lengthy a lengthy <laughs> letter from tolkien um that sort of like outlines what this book is going to be um to the best of his ability <laughs> like he, he literally like is like as far as i can tell like laying down Here's what the first section of the book is going to be. Here's what the second section. And how it ties in with Lord of the Rings. Yes. And what the whole project of the jewels and the rings, like, mythos is intended to be mm-hmm. in, in the context of the real world. Yeah. How, this how is the, the preface hit for y'all? I mean, this is him explicitly laying out the ways in which Lord of the Rings is not an allegory for nuclear weapons. Don't say that. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because he goes on specifically to talk about the idea that, like, and this gets like abstracted into the mythos the minute we hit the next chapter. But it's like Tolkien's just in the idea of like a, a the human impulse to create things as a reflection of like if we were created by a god, then we create things as like a way to like also do that thing. It's like the cycle repeating of creation equals subcreation, and so artistic efforts are like meant to be a reflection of the creation of living beings by a creator themselves Mm -hmm. but the alternative to that is to want to control things and hold dominion over them which is what the ring represents right yes right like just the explicit laying out of this is what i've always been writing about is just it's tucked in here between like it's about this stuff with elves and this stuff with whatever um and that stuff i think is really good and like just very clearly please it's not it's not just about nuclear weapons it's not just about modernization um it can be a lot of different things, and I'd rather you just read whatever you want to it, but this is what I was writing about. Like, artistic efforts and simple living versus wanting to control things. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's a really good passage, because it's like, he's just laying it out there, uh, and I feel like the, this is not an allegory thing, um, has taken on a life of its own, as like a famous thing that J.R.R. Tolkien said, uh, mm. and often, like, gets brought up by nerds who just like to dismiss the idea of interpretive reading as a thing you can do. <laughs> yes. Uh, There's not in which it is being said. No. That's not the spirit. And that is like explicitly not the spirit. He's like, I'm not against interpretation or allegory. He's intense. Like he is against one-to-one. This represents this thing in real life because it is the separation and the like empty space of abstraction that gives the work meaning uh, mm-hmm. where you can read in multiple things. And uh, otherwise it would just may you may as well just write an essay. <laughs> Um, Which he's also then tying into, like, the role of 
fairy tales throughout human history as like you know you can you can tell this like Aesop's fable and maybe to one person at one time it means this but like to another person a thousand years later reading the same fable like it might mean something else you know yeah um and I think that's really cool. <laughs> There's also, um, I think it's in this where he lays out his like, I, I wanted to make an English mythology for England, yes. not mm-hmm. Arthurian shit that's like half French, not Celtic stuff. They've got their own thing. They don't need help. English. It's it's really, mm-hmm. this bit's really good because he's basically like, the English are a barren people with no culture. <laughs> um, <laughs> and doesn't quite like hit on the fact that English as an like he he walks up to it, but like English as an identity is a very, relatively modern one, and f- frankly doesn't fucking exist. Like you have the ancient Britons, which get invaded by the Romans, which get invaded by the Vikings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like England as a dis dis like disparate, unique culture just doesn't exist, uh, mm. and has. It's also worth noting that a lot of the um like a lot of actual like archaeological <laughs> scholarship has been done since Tolkien's death on specifically like early. English like okay. cultures like the the space in which he was uh, borrowing from was like a burgeoning field at this point that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. um because he's not talking about the like actual thing but it's interesting in the context of knowing how that went of like there there were always lots of people living here but because of the ways in which they overlapped the, like specific identity of modern English doesn't have like a tie to history in the way that some other like historical identities do um, yeah, Norman invasion fucked up for everybody. Yeah, uh, even in Europe, it's not. It's not like it's not like you know, he, he, that's his point, right? Like, you know, you have the mm-hmm. French, which goes back to Gaul, which goes has like a you know there are so many bits of things that lead in there forever, and also like anything connected to Rome has its own thing, uh, and obviously all of these places are full of people that were eradicated and destroyed and invaded by whatever. That's just how history yeah. goes. Well, records exist of that stuff more than exist of like you know pre Norman invasion this continent's like mythology yes because i mean this is just a history thing that is not really relevant here but that's because like even for the romans the britain was a fucking wasteland they hated it it was a weird place no one liked it the first place you abandoned when you're falling apart uh yeah also everyone <laughs> like everyone on the island was carrying on with oral tradition right yes. there was no writing shit down in scholarship yeah Kara knightley was there with the blue paint it was a whole thing <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, the rest of the letter is mostly just laying out what we're going to be reading for the next couple weeks. Yeah, he just goes through and summarizes the thing. <clears throat> yep. I don't know how much we want to get into it, unless there's anything anybody particularly wants to point out, but we're going to cover this all at length later anyway. Yeah, not really. I just want to say, like, <laughs> it, it is fun to just have the, like, the decision be made to just begin with a summary, because this isn't like, like, The Lord of the Rings... It's still a book, right? You're still meant to go, ooh, can Frodo win, right? Yeah, this <laughs> uh, right. is not that. This is just not that. It's in the same way in an actual history textbook, you don't just, you know, you don't... It's also, like, like, you don't pick up, you don't pick up, like, a work of Shakespeare or, like, Tale of Gilgamesh and not know... Most people know, if you're in, in the market for that, know a little bit about what the story is. You know what's going to happen. Mm. That's not yeah. even yeah. the same thing to me, because, like... the. I mean, this is what he's trying to make, right? He's trying to make a mythological history. Like, if I pick up Gilgamesh and Enkidu, I know at some point Enkidu dies and it drives Gilgamesh into, you know, uh, yes. throes of sadness. 
that's part of just the cultural knowledge. Oh, so laying this out here gives you cultural knowledge with which to approach these where you know that Baron and Luthien are going to get together and wrest the like the Silmaril from the crown or whatever. Important touchstones I as we go through all this. I mean, like for Shakespeare specifically, like the Shakespeare is not writing myth. He's writing like plays for- No, no, no. But the way that we approach it now that oh, it's yeah, become yeah. mythic in our culture, yes. because things assume power of myth, right? Yes, yes. Like, mm-hmm. you know when, you know, Casablanca ends with them on the fucking like tarmac. I've never seen it. Plank over. <laughs> But you know how it ends. I know that scene. That how it, like Blanca shot ends. for shot. Never seen it in my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah. This is this is like this is the importance of like understanding myth and culture. And he doesn't. He's he's trying to provide myth where there's no culture. So laying this out structurally, I think, really helps in providing you a context by which you can. Oh yeah, I remember hearing about that thing, which you do get with works that are important to culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's a good good preface. What were you gonna say, Nora? Um. The one, like, last little detail that I wanted to pull out that I thought was interesting is him talking about, like, <clears throat> he's trying to, like, write a story predominantly concerned with people who aren't men, which sort of, like, sets it apart from, like, other sto- <laughs> other stories that exist. Because, yes. like, like, these are people who don't care about dying. And so, like, you know, death is, like, a theme throughout, like, all of human stories. And, and Tolkien is trying to hit at, like, what would it be like to be people who can't die or don't die, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, and it, his describing of, like, the relation of, like, elves' like problem is that they, like, bring beauty into the world and then have to see it wither and fade. And, and men don't have to deal with that, but that's because, like, men take up all the beauty that the elves bring into the world and then fucking die. <clears throat> it's a good gig if you can get it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, he does repeatedly give out about the fact he called them elves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it a thing almost, to hold on to. It was almost gnomes, right? Yes, yeah. Am I remembering that right? He almost picked gnomes instead of elves as like the the word for it, mm. which uh, consigned gnomes to uh, in, as you know Dungeons and Dragons influenced fantasy. Gnomes became basically magical hobbits. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do the uh, like sliding doors universe version for he settled on gnomes instead of elves for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Legolas the gnome. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think sure, it, like, I think it would mostly be the same because all that culture, all of our cultural context for those creatures is basically defined by post and fantasy fallout, right? I guess so. Like, there's still Keebler elves and Santa elves, yeah. even though Elrond exists, even though Hugo Weaving is an elf and not a gnome. I guess that's true. I guess, like, the it would just be reversed then, and we'd all just yeah. think it was normal. We'd, you'd have garden gnomes that were like elves from Lord of the Rings, and that would be like a fun... <laughs> little joke that's my gnome it's legolas he's in my garden (laughs) um so the ainu lindala is fucking cool this shit fucking rocks uh this like first line just hits it just goes just on the gas let's go (laughs) i love (laughs) okay I'll, I'll summarize for any uh, any readers who or any listeners who might not be reading along with us. This is sort of the creation myth. It describes Iluvatar, who is the one, the monotheistic <laughs> god, not Keanu Reeves. 
Um, he is like a monotheistic god who then creates a bunch of polytheistic gods. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you said the one, not like Keanu Reeves, but my brain was like, oh, like Jet Li. <laughs> my brain, I wasn't going to interrupt because I didn't want to break the flow of the podcast, but I did the same thing. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you do You do get a, a singular god just creating a pantheon of guys, a literal pantheon of guys. But yes. he's only called the Luvatar in Arda. Is yes. Arda a language? Arda, Arda, is, is, Arda is the world. Okay. Okay. So. Oh yes, I did. I knew that. I knew that, but I forgot it just reading Eru this line. Is the yes. Is okay. The name. So there's a monotheistic god. He creates a polytheistic like group of gods, pantheon, um, of yeah. which there is Melkor. Um, well, the important uh, even before they differentiate, the important thing is he's going to teach them all. Like, they're all aspects of his being. We're just to use his here because the book says his here um, in the traditional mode of this stuff. Um, gives them all a facet, uh, like a piece of a, a great theme of music that he is composing. Um, and everyone has a part and is going to sing in a chorus. Mm-hmm. And Melkor is a sort of like... Tolkien resists this, but I'm going to describe him as a sort of Lucifer... Um, because he wants to, like, write his own part in this song, basically. Um, and that is, like, the fall, you know. <clears throat> um, so, Iluvatar is then, like, so that, somehow does something so that this music becomes the world, but he knows certain things that the Valar, these, these polytheistic, like, pantheon, like does not know and I've, like kind of sends them out into the world. I've got, I've Norm- got, I've got to, I've got to correct this. I just yes, can't. <laughs> please, please. So he gives everyone a piece of music and he's like, you're all parts of aspects of me. I've given you all the flame imperishable, which is like the spirit of existence, right? They'll have souls and you're going to sing a great thing. And Melkor's whole thing is, and they're just in the void, like the primordial void. There's nothing other than these beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and Melkor's whole thing is that he's been looking for, other things that are not known out in the void. And so he's wandering around getting ideas of his own, just kind of coming up with stuff out there in the the deep darkness, right? Uh, The outer darkness to use uh, another religion's uh, terminology. And so they come and do the big song and Melkor is like, well, I'm going to add new things. And he does add new things. um, But he does, he adds new things in opposition to the theme. He's like clashing with the theme um, and corrupting other people into like, you know, throwing off their music because they don't know. They're all gormless idiots. Um, <laughs> they're just ignorant, right? They have never heard a new right. thing. So they hear a new thing and they follow that new thing, assuming it's the right thing to do. Um, and uh, causes a whole clash around Iluvatar. And Iluvatar stands up and creates a new theme that incorporates Melkor's theme, saying, whatever you do, like whatever theme you make will only be used by me to create a grander theme. Like, you know, you can't possibly right. corrupt the creation itself. There's no such thing. Um, And uh, Melkor doesn't like that. Uh, Throws a big fit, tries to fight once again by making it even more discordant. Um, And there's a third theme that crops up and it's uh, harsh and repetitive and uh, is part of the clash. And then when it just becomes too much, Oh, Siri, shut up. Uh, (laughs) Too much noise. uh, Illuminar stands up and silences the entire chorus or whatever. with One like, you know, one giant note and everyone's quiet. And then he leads everyone out into the, the void. And there 
their song's been turned into a thing, which is Art of the World. Yes. And they see it play. They all stand around it. All the uh, Einar stand around it and they all watch it play out. Um, and it's new. It's a new thing. They'd never seen a new thing before. Here's a new thing. And they, they're all taken with it because it's, it's new. And there's other things inside. There's like people. There's like the idea of people exists in here. Um, and some of them are very taken with it. Melkor especially. And um, as they're watching it and all this stuff happens, um, he's like, this is your song made real. Um, and then before it, before I can conclude, covers it up. It's like, you can't see the rest of this. Um, but if you want, some of you can go down there and you can help it be grow. And you can, this is the music made real. You can help contribute, make it as grand as you saw in your visions. Um, and as grand as you think it can be it, like, you know, we can all work together and make this thing perfect. And so a bunch of them go down and those become the Valar. Um, not everyone goes down, just, you know, a, a set. We'll talk about that next time in the next chapter, whatever. Um, they go down and find that it's at the beginning of the story that like they as they watch like standing around the earth in the void they saw like way more of it but they come down and it's like primordial right there's like the land is right. formed and there might there, the idea of of water might exist but not in like seas as we understand like you know just like a full-on day two of genesis earth uh, right and like well i guess we're stuck because they can't leave they have to stay until the earth is unmade um and uh, I think that's the the most of the chapter, right? Other than uh, is so. this the part where they talk about Melkor? I think that's next chapter. Melkor stomps off to go brood about this whole thing. Uh, no, it it starts. Uh, I think it develops it more <laughs> in the next chapter. But like the last paragraph of this chapter is like, you know, if the Valar tried to make valleys, he would raise them up. If the Valar tried to make mountains, he would like lower them down. Yes, you know? he was just here to fuck shit up. He didn't really yeah. care. It also says that um, uh, Melkor descended upon Arda in power and majesty greater than any of the other Valar as a mountain that wades in the sea and has its head above the clouds and is clad in ice and crowned with smoke and fire. And the light in the eyes of Melkor is like a flame that withers with heat and pierces with deadly cold. Uh, I love Tolkien. (laughs) Um, I fucking love this dude. (laughs) It's specifically the part where is it in this chapter? I read these like a couple days ago, but they're, they're specifically like the water guy is like, I've made water and I love water. And it's that's like, the, is that next chapter? Or he's like, that's more in the Valaquinta. Okay. Where they talk about Melkor, like corrupting his work, but only to make things that are good in their own way. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think is all really good. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I love that Tolkien is writing a creation myth where he sort of like squares both like, I'm going to have a monotheistic god and a polytheistic pantheon of gods, and there's going to be free will, but also, like, you know... I mean, I don't know that the Valar are really gods. But, like, I guess the Valaquinta, like, develops it more, but, like, the, they the have... letter describes them as angelic. Yes. But, I mean, Tolkien's also writing from a strictly... Like, he's a Christian, He, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think he, he... I think he rightly leaves it leaves the space for if you really want to see this as a a polytheistic thing you can you can go that far Mm -hmm. as far as the world's concerned right like yeah i just the the thing that i i find so interesting about this is that he like is writing creation myth that sort of like does both these things and like similarly like leaves room for like the free will of like men and elves and also like everything is predetermined and predestined and um 
I, I just, I really like the ways in which he, like, you know, is able to hand wave away a lot of things, but, like, not dismissively. I don't, I don't mm. say hand wave as, like, oh, he doesn't care about this shit. I, like, he cares a lot, you know, and is, like, sort of trying to leave room for lots of different possibilities, you know. Our next book section, Chapter. yeah. Legend. Section. I don't. I'm unclear on what the. I think mean, the the importance <clears throat> of the breaks is that it dif- it like shows works that were not connected when like Christopher Tolkien found them. Like they weren't like yes. written together in one book, chapter one, chapter two. They just logically followed, and that's why they are given different titles rather than just. Put these, I sort of these I, would be different books that you pick up in the Elder Scrolls Five. Yes. Skyrim. Yes. It, I was almost thinking of it as like, you know, like. Frodo writes the Lord of the Rings, and then like Merry and Pippin and, and, and Gimli and whoever are like adding in other parts in the Red Book of Westmarch or whatever. Yeah, and like all of this gets assembled into, you know, one. yeah. Like we we mentioned very briefly that originally this is supposed to be a, and much like the Red Book, a in universe a collection of different of texts in different forms, poems, songs, histories, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things. And in truth is actually how it got made in real life. Right. Which is that they cobbled together all these things from Tolkien's writing. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Um, but yeah, the, the Valaquinta, I think, is just like sort of an elven account of like creation yeah, it, and like the Valar showing up in Middle Earth. And it stuff. is from the perspective of the, the highest elves, mm-hmm. I believe. Um. I I feel much less confident in my ability to summarize the the Valaquenta, but um, <laughs> I think you could sum it up as the sort of um, cartoon theme song for this section of the world because it's kind of a roll call of all of the major players in this yeah. sort of primordial zone. I suppose so. <laughs> it's like the opening credits, you know. Um, and then it ends on you know. Uh, it, you know, it is an enumeration of guys. There was this guys. guy called Sauron. We'll get to him later. <laughs> we'll get back to him. Also known as Carl or whatever the hell his, last, his other name is. The, Gorthar the Cruel. One of the best things about the Silmarillion, and in this chapter especially, uh, so far, is that um, we've read Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So this means, very occasionally, for like one out of every 30 guys, and there's a lot of guys... Uh-huh. You'll just ha- you'll just have like a name that you recognize, and you're like, ah, shit, and it's like, oh, this is <laughs> one of three brothers. Like, that- yeah, damn, oh, what the Arabeth? It was that, yeah, yeah, yeah Elbreth. Elbreth, thank you. Yes. I couldn't pronounce that. Like, I say Elbreth, and I'm like, damn, da- I know that. <laughs> oh shit, Olmo. Everyone loves Olmo. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm trying to. Are you finding the beginning of the list? Or? No, I'm just kind of searching around for like details I wanted to pull out. So well, I, we should though. we should we should read the. I, I'll read the list. Um, yeah, hit me so with the list. specifically, um, they are they are uh, listed as like by man and then by woman. They they're all given genders, or whatever. Uh, it's oh, Manwe, yeah. Olmo, Aule, Arome, Mandos, Lorian, and Tolkis, and then the queens are Varda, Yavanna, Nienna. Este, Vaire, Vana, and Nessa, and then Melkor is not counted among them, like, even mm. though he descended with them. 
It also mentions that they had gender before they had form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's like, they had gender, it's weird to think about gender, uh, but they had it. When they <laughs> embodied themselves, they embodied themselves according to their gender in the way that you can show gender with clothes, uh-huh. yes. but that doesn't make gender. Yes. <laughs> It's like... And it can be cast aside. (laughs) (laughs) Just not how anyone would write this now. You know? Yes. Um, The Uh, important thing here is that... (laughs) um, uh, Kind of like putting aside the the uh, Luciferian like version of Melkor, we've got Manwe who is just said like as good as Melkor, but not like a guy who wants to control everything he is just you know devoted to iluvatar's will and does the right thing and is like the king king is not the right the word first he is of the, all king yes yes the leader of the the, the valar mm-hmm. i like this the way that the book describes manwe as br- manwe and melkor are brethren in the thought of iluvatar mm-hmm. so like as true as you can get as real as you can get, these two are on the same level. And they have a kinship and like a connection. Because mm. what is more true than the thought of a Luvatar? Right. Well, and like, you know, <clears throat> that ends up kind of, I think, reflecting like, you know, Aragorn and Sauron, like, you know, are connected. Like, it is just a contest of who's going to win between those two, you know, is what it boils down to in some ways. Um. <clears throat> um. Anyway, Melkor, old news. We don't even talk <laughs> about that anymore. His name is Morgoth now. You know why? Uh, his name is not spoken upon Earth. Well, he went to Hot Topic and became Morgoth. I hate you. I can't stand this girl. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Manwe is like the Valar of the air and of winds. Um. And a, a breath, which, you know, is is in itself meant to be like an evocation of a song, right? Like, music comes from from the breath and the being. Um, and his wife is uh, Varda, who's also known as the Elbreath. Mm-hmm. Lady um, of the Stars. Lady of the Stars. And they're just a power couple who stay in, uh, in Valinor, which we haven't even gotten to yet. But that's where everybody lives on Earth. This was like what it what the hell is Valinor is like definitely a thing I was having trouble holding on to reading these sections, but I do kind of know it from like just bouncing around on Wikipedia a little bit last week, you know. Yeah. Um Yeah, we should all I just one tiny geographical detail. Um it also mentions in the foreword or somewhere that like the most easternmost mountains depicted in this book are the ones on the very western edge of Middle Earth yes. on the maps? Yes. The Blue um, Mountains that are all the way on the west end of Middle Earth, of Middle Earth are on the east end of the maps. When you're th- thinking about things that are happening in the Silmarillion, yeah, weird. So all we this land doesn't all this land doesn't exist in the maps of Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah, we are completely off screen to the left of where Middle Earth was happening. Uh, it's not even that we're off screen; it's that in the Third Age, this is an ocean. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was having trouble visualizing that for a minute, honestly. 
I was like, the easternmost... If I just look at the damn map, it would probably help. Um, was, I don't know... I don't know what this map is. I don't know is. what that map is. <laughs> anyway, uh, we've got Olmo, who's Lord of Water. He just kind of lives at the bottom of the ocean and stalks around in, like, not-human form and is sick as hell. Same. I love that guy. I love that guy, too. <laughs> I think that Olmo is a little bit of a trudgeon. I don't know what that means. Um... <laughs> Um, but yeah, almost cool. Um, he's also the one is he, yeah, he's the one who makes the elves go crazy when they hear the ocean. Right. Yes. And that was something I wanted to pull out is that like, you know, when Legolas is like, oh, I heard seagulls. Fuck. <laughs> like that is, <laughs> there is like a mythological reason for that. Olmo has come without, you know, being embodied and like encouraged this like tie to the sea mm. is bringing the sea to the minds of people yeah specifically tying it to the sounds of the sea are like the music of creation itself mm. which yes, is the thing that they respond water to. is the thing that has the most echoes of the original creation in it which also makes sense because water is so necessary for life in general yep um, and then you have Aule who goes around building, like, is the one who is interested in, like, gems and ores and uh, craftsmanship. But in, like, he's always, like, in inspiring people to create their best works. He is not, like, greedy. Um, they're really clear about, like, Melkor wants dominion and Aule wants to inspire people. And they specifically say the Noldor, who we'll get to, but they're just the elves. They're just the elves of, like, the first age. Um, learn the most from him. So he's the one who taught them all of their like handiwork and you know how to yeah, build he, cities and he he's building stuff for the fun of it. And yes. then Melkor also wants to have the thing, yeah. which is different from building the thing. Well, and like last time we were talking about like everything just seems to go bad for the dwarfs constantly, and like here you get like um you know Ally wants to build things and and like gems and and beautiful things and Melkor is constantly just like fucking it up, uh, you know. Yep. Um, and then his spouse is Yavanna, who's uh, the fruits and and trees and foliage goddess. Um, try and if you ever buy a salad dressing that says green goddess on it, that's her. <laughs> Oh right, the the this was so confusing to me for a second, but like there's Mandos and Lorien, but that's actually where they live because their true names are Namo and Irmo, which I might be yes. mispronouncing. Yeah, Namo um, dwell, dwells in Mandos, which is like the house of the dead. Um uh specifically that means like when elves die, their their body is destroyed, but their spirit can't leave the earth because that's just like the bound, like that's their whole doom, doomed to be into like there's you know they're just bound to the earth for until it exists, uh, stops existing. So they come to this place that's like on the very edge of the world because this is a flat world at this point, um, where the halls of the dead are, and just kind of chill out until they can maybe be embodied. Tolkien's never like expressly clear that elves can like re-embody when they die but it's heavily implied in this stuff i feel like in the in the preface it even says like we don't really understand like we as humans just don't really understand what's up with elves and like death for them you mm -hmm. know <laughs> um which i think is wise because i think like giving a 
like direct answer to that would be um I don't know. It's just not a thing that like humans can get, I feel yeah. like, and I think Tolkien understands that. I feel like a lot of things that come after this just do that. And yeah. like, build those mechanics into the story and into the world in a way that Tolkien is not interested in doing. Yeah. Um, um anyway, uh his stuff. Sp- even back then, Lorian was just fucking great. You know? <laughs> this is not the same Lorian. Well, yeah, but, like, it, the, the Lothlorien, like, feels a lot like the way that Tolkien is, is describing yes, this. Yes, but it's specifically the elves trying to recreate a thing that they have lost, right? Okay, okay. This is, uh, this is, this is the New England of elves, is Lothlorien. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's just, that's just true. That is just true. Um, <laughs> Just thinking about showing up to... To actual British York and being love the Mets. Let's go, baby. Love the Mets. <laughs> I mean, I, um, I, I mean that that is a joke you're making, but like I'm, I <laughs> yes. Lothlorien doesn't like straight me as like a colonial project. They're not expanding. I assume Lorien is lost by the time Lothlorien comes into being. But I don't know if this goes. This will go into that here. Uh, yeah, we'll just have to get there. I guess it's more like starting a city and calling it Atlantis. Yeah, that that would be my my guess. A little culturally different, but in in that that that's how I read it. But I assume we'll get more specifics because this book's going to be all about the. It's a little more like it's a little more like if if like Adam and Eve's kids like created a city and called it New West Eden. (laughs) (laughs) Why West? Why not not New Eden? Just just pick a place. Just you know. Okay. I just picked Upper the direction. <laughs> yeah. But specifically, it's like, it's not all of Eden. It's just a little bit that we happen to like, and we're going to name a place after it. New um, Eden is just too comprehensive a name to yeah. be what Lothlorien is trying to do. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Loth Eden. <laughs> anyway, um, there's Este, who lives in Lorien and, like, is gentle and heals people. Um, my bitch is Nienna, um, who's just sad all the time. And there's a line from Fellowship that I think about all the time where Aragorn is like, all the stories in Middle-earth are sad. And this bitch is why, and I love her. <laughs> she was so sad that she, like, wove sadness into the creation song. Yes. Same. I, I I've been her. there. I've been there. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> They specifically say her house looks out on the walls of the world. Like, she's just, like, staring into the void. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Tolkis, who is uh, the, the, like, wrestling. He's just, like, the big, like, burly fight guy. He just loves to fight, which is distinct I was from... Picturing Thor. Which is distinct from Arome, who is like a god of war, like warfare and warcraft, right? Like he's he's angry and vengeful, and Tolkis just wants to throw down for like he's like a Goku. Yeah, is it him? I, I'm skimming the paragraph where it's like he was laughing as he would fight Melkor back in yes. the day. Yeah, uh, Tolkis also has a last name. Oh, he is surnamed Astaldo the Valiant. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> So his full name is Tolkis Astaldo. Oh, huh. it's pretty cool. 
he's also the the last one who came because he only came when they were fighting Melkor and was like, well, I got to get on this. (laughs) (laughs) His hair and beard are golden and his flesh ruddy. Semicolon, his weapons are his hands. He's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) This is a Dark Souls boss. No, I did, the oh, Goku yeah. is more right. I feel like he just doesn't have the okay. like. L- l- he has little heed for either the past or the future, and is of no avail as counselor. But he's a hardy friend. <laughs> no thoughts, head empty, no th- fists very full. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're probably not going to mention Dark Souls that much because it's just one of the many things that rips off this specifically because it doesn't actually have a story. Uh, it's all mm-hmm. uh, lore and weird connections. But like, this does not. Even as much as that is a famous modern example of a text pulling from this very directly uh, as an inspiration, uh, this so far at least doesn't have the like ironic, mean twinge to all of the lore and history that uh, that something like Dark Souls does. Uh, Yeah, there is there is a bit, and I don't remember which chapter it's in, but like. where it's talking about Iluvatar sending down the secret fire into the center of the world, and I was like, oh, they literally just stole that for Dark Souls. Yes. Like, they literally just took that for Dark Souls. The secret fire is the core of the Earth. Yeah. It it is a fairly common religious imagery. (laughs) Like, the fire that never goes out. Yeah, but whatever. (laughs) Not to be confused with the flame imperishable, which is a different secret fire. Mm Mm-hmm. Not also not probably not to be confused with Gandalf's secret fire. No, I which think that sounds is like the, a euphemism. <laughs> I th- I think that is the secret fire that uh, that Gandalf is serving. But um, I, I, I thought it was the ring. <laughs> I I just associate these kind of uh, <clears throat> this kind of form because of how popular it became with Dark Souls and the modern sense and things drawing from that with far more like little twists to the to the gods of and like it's the god of this but then their fate was this ironic bad thing and this seems a little more straightforward than that uh, mm-hmm. which is like that is all from software world building to a point where it gets a little exhausting and I'm like yeah I get it don't worry guys you did this five games already. <laughs> Um, the thing that wasn't in here, that actually must have been the last chapter because I was looking for it. Um, when they are striving with Melkor, um, the ways in which he cl- like they talk about the like with uh, Olmo, like uh, they're like Olmo, you made the sea and you love the sea, You're like the waters and you love the water. So he's like, yes, well, the he, the freezing power of Melkor has like created ice and 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 snowflakes and things of that nature. And he's like, are those good? And he's like, oh yeah, those are good. And his fires created steam and clouds and rain upon the earth. Is that good? And he's like, yeah, that's good. It's like, that's what Mel, that's Melkor's oh, like yeah. plans being laid to ruin. That is the, that is the, you know, the will of Iluvatar to say all things are bent to his grand design. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought that it was this chapter, but you must be right. Cause I'm, yeah. I mean, like Melkor it is also- a, like, purely reactionary force because he yes. ca- because everyone is a reactionary force when you're dealing with fucking the one god right there is no you cannot do anything but react uh so like you know melkor isn't even like i'm gonna kill god he's no. just like <laughs> he just wants to out- he Maybe? just wants dominion he just wants to assert you know? himself outside of the definitions of god which doesn't exist <laughs> yes maybe he should have aimed a little higher um, what if he had tried to kill God? <laughs> it doesn't it's not possible. <laughs> you can um, try anything. <laughs> so the next section is of the Maiar, which specifically is about like okay, fifteen real deal motherfuckers came down. 
and we've we've enumerated all of them. But they brought with them like a bunch of other guys who were not nearly as powerful. But like most, you know, they they had power. They were mythical beings that existed at the beginning of creation. They were like the servants of the Valar, and most of them like barely took form. The elves know a couple of them, but most of them were just like a whole fucking mystery. No idea, even to the elves. Um, but they do enumerate a couple of them. Um, uh, who's like Ilmare, who's the handmaiden of Varda, of, uh, Varda. Um, there's a bit in the next little section where they mention that like Balrogs and, um, and Sauron himself are Maiar. Um, and our good old friends, our good old friends, the fucking wizards are also Maiar. Wises of the Maiar yeah. was a Lauren. He too dwelt in Lorien, uh, but his ways took him often to the house of Nienna, and he learned of her pity and patience. I got a DM about this, so <laughs> really? I would not have known. Yes, I would not have noticed. Oh, is it uh, during this? I was like, is it going to be like revealed that like he's Gandalf or something? This but is I, not. I, this is not. Conf- this is this is fan speculation. Okay. I was told in a DM that this is because uh, there's a bit where Gandalf said, uh, Aloran, I was in the West that is forgotten in a chapter at some point. Oh, is it? Maybe. Um, chapter in window. I, I am not I am not at the point in my life anymore where I can requ- quote chapter and verse of fucking Lord of the Rings. Uh, let me get uh, it. Yeah, no, I guess you're right. Yeah. He says, yeah, yes. Aloran, I was in the West that is forgotten is the quote I got, which is from um, uh, Two Towers, I think. The chapter window yeah. in the West. Uh, and so unless there's another Aloran, which I don't think no, 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 is the no, case, yeah. I think this is fucking Gandalf. Well, yeah, all the, like okay. all the Meyer that ever existed came to Earth at the beginning with the Valar. Like they're all here; they're all primordial oh, beings. Right. It, whether, yes, and whether they're we, embodied or not, like Saruman's here. Whether he's embodied, he might just be like a spirit existing on the Earth. Um, and there's there's a difference between that and coming to Middle Earth, which is what we described last episode. Yes, that's when, when they that's about, when they took a boat and landed, and we're like, we're here as five dudes. And then somebody saw Gandalf and was like, "You want a ring?" <laughs> <laughs> um, he liked it, so he put a ring on it. Curtain Gandalf. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I no definitely like as I was reading that uh, like. It was evoking for me a little bit, like, the, the bit in the appendices where, like, Thorongil is hanging out, and he's wearing a shirt that says, I'm definitely not the king. Um, <laughs> and, like, as it's mentioning, like, Aloran learned pity and patience, I was like, oh, is this supposed to be Gandalf? And then, like, it kind of just moves a- moves away from Aloran so quick that I didn't, like, take any time to process it at all. So, mm. cool to have that confirmed. <laughs> He was the wisest of the Maiar. I'm always saying this. Well, yeah, the the, the end of this little section is like, um, uh, of Melian much is told in the Quintus Silmarillion, but of Aloran the tale doesn't speak. For they loved the elves, he walked among them unseen, or in form as one of them, and they did not know whence came the fair visions or the promptings of wisdom that he put into their hearts. In later days, he was the friend of all the children of Iluvatar and took pity on their sorrows, and those who listened to him awoke from despair and put away the imaginations of darkness. I would not describe that as 100% true. <laughs> uh, in what way? I feel like there are many who listen to him that did not awake from despair all the time. But uh, I well, mean, they, there were people who heard hearing him, him and listening listen. to him are two different things. I guess that's true. <laughs> I was going to say I was like I would not describe this is not how I would describe Thor and Oakenshield, but I guess he did explicitly not listen to Gandalf many times. <laughs> yes, Denethor not awakened from his sorrows. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not listening to Gandalf. He's hearing him, not listening. <laughs> 
Um, and then we get the of the enemies, which is about Melkor. Mm-hmm. He who arises he in might. Thank you, Nora. <laughs> it's so sick. He's so sick. The thing is, the top is just metal as fuck. May. This is why there are 30 years of just every year you get a new metal band doing some kind of word from the Silmarillion as the, <laughs> either their name or an a album title. My, um... No, the uh, were the last section. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> My favorite part of this, um, is, um... Uh... Sauron was only less evil than his master in that for long he served another, not himself, but in after years he rose like a shadow of Morgoth and a ghost of his malice and walked behind him on the same ruinous path down into the void. I fucking love this shit. (laughs) Uh, I am very surprised at just how well uh, the Silmarillion's written. Because I knew it was like yeah. a book of law or myth, whatever you know. No, I not yeah. you know what I mean. It, it is a, it is yeah, a history. It's not a narrative. It's not a narrative. Um, and even the appendices they, they could get dry. Uh, but uh, Tolkien's still bringing it. He can still write. Uh, you know, it doesn't need to <laughs> have characters necessarily uh, to have the prose be uh, going hard. <laughs> I just wish that Tolkien could have seen, like. Tumblr fan art of Sauron and Morgoth. <laughs> He'd probably be really mad about it. <laughs> um, the, the other thing worth noting is Sauron is uh, explicitly described as a Maiar of Aule, which, while Morgoth just wants dominion, uh, Sauron is someone who existed originally as like a craftsman, right? Which makes mm. sense given everything that he has turned oh, to yeah. once he becomes huh. Sauron. Also, um, Gorthar the Cruel. Yes. I, I wonder Which, if that name I, ever comes up no, again. No, I, I, I don't think Sauron comes up much again outside of this. So at least uh, maybe at the end when we get to the um, Akalabath stuff. But not not for most of the Silmarillion itself, I don't think. Well, there is there is a section titled, let me see if I can find it, Of the Rings of Power yeah. in the Third Age. So I imagine he probably comes up there. Yeah. <laughs> It's a pretty um, short segment because it mostly just tells you things we already know. Go read oh, yeah, it's book. like 15 pages. Okay. Uh, um, <clears throat> I still don't know what a Silmaril is. Yeah, yeah we'll get do. there. Oh, yeah, I guess I know from like... I mean, you know abstractly because it explained it, but no, we're not there yet. We're at the, the making of the world and then we'll get uh, what happens after that happened. Yeah. Yeah, because the if if... If not, like, from reading Lord of the Rings and the appendices, then from the letter. You you know what the... I, I might have missed that in the letter, but yeah, I do, I do remember it's like the light of the two trees or something. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a flash drive. When you search Sauron oh. and Morgoth, uh, the, the two okay. genres are, you get obviously people being gay... Uh, yes, but you also just get people trying to do like, look at these two bros, hardcore photoshops. <laughs> I was when when Nora said Tumblr fan art, I was imagining like Sauron and and Morgoth like looking like they're about to drop a mixtape. <laughs> I was thinking of like you know, it's way Femme, more it's way Femme more goth Sauron. goth twink. Uh, oh shit, beauty twink. <laughs> yeah, look at these. Lads. 
Um, anyway, uh, next time we're reading two chapters. We'll actually <laughs> be in the Silmarillion proper. We are reading of the beginning of days and of Aule and Yavanna. Yeah. Not actually that much in terms of pages, so it'll be probably short. No, read. one of them is only four pages, it looks like. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're reading a lot less next week, so I might take an I might take another spin through the preface just see if I can internalize a little <clears throat> more of it because uh, I did not. <laughs> uh, going through it on a chapter by chapter basis will drill it in. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, um, good start. Excited. I'm sure yeah. we will uh, be able to look at guys and understand these guys matter. These guys are not as important. Mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of names. Yeah, this is, this is stated in the in the opening. Is like, look, there's a lot of names here. There's a, there's a <laughs> lot of names, and so there's an index, and there is also a table of genealogy that will only list the guys that matter. <laughs> yes. But um, honestly, you'll just pick it up going. This is this is my uh, general approach: is to just like. Let what you internalize get internalized. If you need to look someone up, just look them up, you know? Yeah. Um, Baron and Luthien. Yeah, yeah. Those, those two are important. That's the second of the trilogy that we'll read later. I was going to say, I recognize I'm that get, as a book. I, <laughs> I am getting closer and closer every day to, to reading. I mean, I won't I mean, do it until after the Silmarillion. You're, you're going to because Christopher Lee does the audiobook for Children of Huron. Yeah. So we're and both I, going to be listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll probably be during or after the movie section of the podcast. Wait, there's a oh. new middle up? Oh, damn. Yeah, there were those new ones from like 10, 12 10. years ago? No, yeah, I, I, there was like one from like two years ago. I'm saying there has been oh, there has been one since Christopher Tolkien died, which I assume they would stop after that. <laughs> Oh, really? Yes, because I re- I meant to look up today. I didn't know if he was still alive or not. No, he I died in 2020. Um, and there was the Fall of Gondolin uh, before that, which I remember being oh, yeah, promoted. The, the, nature, the Nature of Middle-Earth came out last year. Yes, that was edited by Carl F. Hostetter, which I don't know who that... I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. What, I don't know who the like crew is now that is in the like Christopher Tolkien, Tolkien estate doing this forever. Carl Hostetter um, is a NASA science, NASA computer scientist and Tolkien scholar who is a key figure of the Elvish Linguistic Fellowship. Okay. Yeah. Nerds. Nerds, 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 nerds. Nora did remind me, I just wanted to comment a little bit on um, this audiobook is not read by Rob Inglis or Andy Serkis. It's read by Martin Shaw. Um, and people put too much production value into this audiobook. There's like music constantly. Uh, and it sucks. Stop putting music in audiobooks. <laughs> Weird. Um, also, make Rob Inglis read all of them. <laughs> well, I, you know, <laughs> the the half of what we read today is just music. So I guess. Nora. Yeah, I thought it was just doing that as a thing, but then like it's introducing Sauron at the end of um the 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 second section, whose name I'm forgetting already. Um, the Valaquinta. Like and and dark ominous like marching music starts playing. God, okay. What? Yeah. What it actually is that at the end of every section, it fades in a little noise before the end of the thing. It's just because this has so many sections. Like in Lord of the Rings, it would do those at the end of every book. 
Uh, this is the last paragraph right. of every book only, but because of how this is broken up, it does just do this two chapters in a row. God. Yes, it sucks. Uh, I assume it will stop for you going forward. Fingers crossed. Um, I, I spent a weird amount of today getting a little irritated at, like, they haven't done audiobooks of this, like, unfinished Tolkien thing that I want to read. <laughs> Fucking assholes. <laughs> um... I saw this book at the bookstore before we moved, The Nature of Middle-Earth, this mm-hmm. 2021 book. I thought it was just some third-party person recollecting details about the setting and selling it to you. Like, you oh. know, those, like, the official guide to the oh, yeah. of or whatever, right? Yeah. I didn't realize this was, like, meant to be, like... I mean, it's new, not... This is new shit. It's not... It's not. You don't want to read this. Let me let it's me a, read. Let me read the Wikipedia content summary. The book yeah. is in three parts with appendices. Part one consists of twenty three chapters on time and aging, including the Valian year and questions on time scales and whether Elvish time is different. Part two contains seventeen chapters on body, mind, and spirit, including issues of beauty, goodness, gender, and sex. Which beings may have beards, fate, and free will? Whether elves reincarnate? What the Valar know and what visible forms they and the Maiar may take? And death. Part three consists of 22 chapters on the world, its lands, and its inhabitants, including such topics as darkness and light, how Lembus Waybread is made, the eating of mushrooms, and Galadriel and Celeborn. If you... The appendices cover metaphysical and theological themes and a glossary of terms in Kenya. 464 pages of this. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. You must skipped over the part where the phrase whether Elvish time is different is a hyperlink to a Wikipedia page called Time Travel in the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Well, if you you have, like, uh, a vessel for your heart to go into at both points, (laughs) uh, you can travel Tolkien was writing at a period when notions of time and space were being radically revised from the science fiction of time travel of H.G. Wells to the inner world of dreams. We have to end, we have to end. We do actually have another podcast where we can do this. Yes. No, we're not going to be doing this because we'll have someone else who isn't going to brook any of this nonsense. Thank God someone will save me from both of you. <laughs> so the nature of Middle Earth is like, food now, between now and then, if, you, so. if you read Concerning Hobbits and were like, I wish there was 450 pages of well, this. I, I would like to point out that the, the 464 pages of this come after a 12-part giant book compendium of all of the notes and drafts and all of this shit of middle earth you can already get this is at the end of thousands and thousands of pages of this exact shit um man i'm, looking- I'm gonna do my plugs because i have to go to the bathroom very badly if somebody okay. wants to hear the podcast that we were just describing that we're about to record autumn where do you think People would listen. You, you, you can go to normal. No, 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 no. You can't start switching <laughs> up who's plugging what to this degree. I will die. I cannot. You also didn't even deliver the right URL, so you can't do this. No, because I don't know it. Because I don't do your plugs. I don't know why Nora's well, do you, me I, to do your I, plugs. I'm taking over Nora's role because Nora has shit posted it well, Autumn, do your plugs and go pee. Yes. In that order. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Patreon.com slash export audio or exportaw.io. Give us $5 a month. You're going to get Eye of the World pretty soon. You're going to get Sid and Nancy pretty soon. Um, <laughs> Which will also have a Chippendale Rescue Rangers discussion attached to it. For some reason. Uh, it's yeah. the Doom of Man. I'm, <laughs> I'm outie. I gotta pee so bad, dude. <laughs> well, enjoy that. Uh, you can find me at HeadfallsOff on Twitter.com. You can find the podcast I do at AdultMapping.com. Uh, and they're good. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can support me and Jackson's podcast at patreon.com slash normal mapping. Uh, there's good stuff there. You know, you can listen to Gundam. We're about to finish Gundam Seed. We'll be watching a new show soon, which in that show is Digimon Tamers with some Yo! Gundam shit on top of it. Let's go. Yeah. Nora. You can find me on Twitter at neither Nora. Find stuff I've done at NoraBlake.online. You can give us money to listen to our podcasts. And if you want the ultimate in podcast connectivity, you can go to abnormalmapping.com. You can look at it, and then you can go to patreon.com slash abnormalmapping and pay $10 to listen to VoIP Life. You know, which is going to be a surprise that's going to drop on people, but I guess you're just going to spoil You better deliver the thunder now that you're pitching it. It's going to be five days until people can listen to uh, VoIP I can Life. take that out if you want. I didn't know no, it was going to be secret. I mean, I just wasn't going to say it. I don't advertise it's going to be on VoIP Life. They just drop. Sometimes you you foreshadow. Yeah, I wasn't going to this time. Well, But now, no, no, now the burden's on you. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> We got guests because we didn't we didn't have anything, so <laughs> it works so, out. So what does that say about you, then? Somehow you've taken a situation where <laughs> we have been so useless to not record our own premium podcast and have any content for it, where you're now putting the pressure on our friends who have graciously agreed to join us. Listen, as that I was, said on- t- That was implied on- in the invitation, so. <laughs> Look, I am currently on my sixth and seventh pieces of alien media in less than two weeks. I oh have shit God. to talk about. Oh. Thank God we don't. I don't think we're that desperate. We'll just goof wow. off for an hour. But um, you, that that's a whole export if you want it to be. We need to leave. My dinner's here. I got to eat. Oh, right. We were supposed Say to. Say the line. Uh, uh, <laughs> read for Ruin and the Red Dawn. All right. Ending the podcast. <laughs>